0: Hi, in today's Life After Leadership podcast, I'm talking to Barry Lee. We are going to hear Barry's exit story, as well as his take on how business owners should approach life after leadership. Barry is the part time chairman of NEFI, an asset management company for commercial real estate. Previously, Barry was the owner of Advanced Engineering for nearly 27 years. Before the business was acquired in 2018 by a consolidator, the company employed 27 staff with a turnover of almost 5 million. The acquisition story started for Barry about 10 years prior to exit. He was approached by investors every year. As the years went on, the offers became more serious. Barry had been contacted by several company brokers interested in helping him through the exit process, but he hadn't been impressed with the advice or their fees. That was until Barry attended a Barclays Bank seminar at Reading Football Stadium and met a company broker called Rob Goddard from Evolution CBS. Barry liked his approach and his fees were fair. The valuation that Rob presented was also in line with what the trade buyers had said. Rob asked Barry if that was the deal he was looking for, and Barry expressed that he was looking for more. Rob agreed that the business would be worth more if the company was made exit ready. Barry appointed Evolution CBS to support his business through the exit journey. Rob introduced Barry to a consultant who worked at Advanced Engineering one day a month for three years and a different consultant to manage the actual sale of the business. They worked very successfully together. It took three years to get the company acquisition ready, with the sales process taking a further 14 months. With the support of Rob Goddard, Barry increased the final offering by a staggering 70%. He also felt he was never a number with evolution. They focused as much on the emotional effect of the deal and its structure, as much as the exit price. Barry lives a comfortable life, but most importantly, he has created a life for himself and his family after leadership stating that his grandchildren are the best medicine in the world. If you are a business owner looking to exit your business, Barry urges you to think seriously about what you would do after acquisition. Not just in terms of what can be purchased, but how to spend your time and fill your life with purpose. That's the ingredient for a happy and fulfilling life. You see, Barry has the funds To live a very lavish life. He could buy an even bigger family home, a collection of high value cars, for example, but Barry chose the route of greater good, both for his family and the wider community. Barry fully funds the tuition costs and living expenses of two PhD students who are studying at Loughborough University. He also enjoys using his business expertise and life experience to be a mentor and sounding board for other business people to help their personal business journeys. Barry provides funds to help a number of charities and finds ways to match fund his donations to increase the value potential. Finally, Barry now works as part-time chairman for his commercial property investment business, which started trading in 2019. His son is managing director. Their current portfolio comprises seven properties across England and Wales, spanning 93,000 square feet. Barry is currently in the process of stepping down from this position and fully handing the reins to his son. Welcome Barry. 60% of UK businesses fold within the first three years you successfully ran a business for over 27 years. What do you put your success down to? <laughs>
1: um, I think the first thing is that you have to be very modest in your drawings out of any business when you start. I've seen too many businesses fail where people think they're entitled to a lifestyle on day one that the business cannot sustain. And you have to be very modest in the early stage, and you have to build a business, and that also means building the balance sheet. If it's going to work and it's successful, you'll get the opportunities to do drawings and live the lifestyle you want later. But I think the first thing is you've got to be modest when you start out. And that's not always popular with people. Certainly when I started out, we went months without salary, and we just lived on credit cards. And to be quite candid, I got so embarrassed that I stopped telling my wife but I believe we could do it and eventually it came good. The second thing is that I would suggest that you recruit the best people that you can afford to recruit. You may not be able to do that on day one, but as the business gets more successful, really recruit the best you can because it becomes a team effort. If the business is dependent on one person, you won't sell it for very much. If it's dependent on a team, you've got a chance of getting a much better price. And the third thing is if you can create some intellectual property, that's where the multiplier effect really happens. If you can create some brands, brand names, intellectual property, formulas, patents, whatever it is, then you will see a really significant increase in the valuation.
0: What made you decide to exit your business?
1: That was a combination of factors. First of all, it was age. I was in my late 60s, so I knew I, I needed to make it happen. Secondly, my wife was and remains very poorly, and I needed to have a change of lifestyle. And third, the market was changing. It was no longer possible for a small company like mine to start up. Consolidators, by that I mean large manufacturers buying small manufacturers, and wholesalers were buying manufacturers. And it became increasingly difficult to compete against uh, the very big boys so I saw it as a trend for the future and it coincided and that's why I decided to exit.
0: How did you approach the business exit process?
1: I'd met with various company brokers over the years and none impressed me and I felt that they were all creating a production line of which I was just one. And I didn't like that. I also felt their fees were very high. And so I came across Evolution Complete Business Sales Limited. Uh, I felt that they were the only ones who actually understood what I was trying to achieve. And they were more concerned about me than the company and more concerned about me than the price. And I went with them, and I'm very pleased I went with them. And in the end, everything worked together. Once I decided to sell they advised me candidly that I needed to slightly restructure the business and prepare it for sale if I wanted to maximise the price. And they put in a consultant who I paid for for about three years. And they, that consultant came along one day a month and worked with the team in the full knowledge of what was going to happen. So I brought the team in alongside the process at the very beginning. And the consultant helped us prepare it for sale. And then shortly before I took the decision, I met with the MD of one of our competitors who had sold. And we just had dinner together and we spoke. And we never spoke money. We just spoke about the process. And I learned a huge amount from him. And I'm very grateful that he gave me his time. And after that dinner, I decided that I did want to sell and I proceeded. And then a strange thing happened that Evolution then took out the first consultant and put in the second. That surprised me, but I understood why, because if you work with someone for three years, you develop an emotional involvement and it was necessary that a negotiator took over, if you like. And although they spoke behind the scenes, the second negotiator did what he was supposed to do, which was to extract the maximum value and the best deal for me.
0: Using your wisdom, what top three tips can you give entrepreneurs looking to sell established engineering businesses?
1: I think the first thing is that business people are under an illusion and it's a delusion that they're good at selling businesses. The reality is they probably only ever do it once or twice in their life. Whereas there's people out there whose job it is five days a week uh, and they have much better feel and a knowledge of what to do. And I think it pays to actually take their advice. You've got to go with someone you feel comfortable, but I would strongly recommend if the business has any serious value that you use a professional company broker to achieve an exit. The second thing is you need a good solicitor and your normal solicitor may or may not be the right solicitor for you. Dealing with the sale of a company business of any significant size is not a skill set that the average solicitor has. They may have skill sets in different areas. You may need them for matrimonial matters, family matters. You may need them for wills and trusts. You may need them for small company business. You may need them for doing your terms and conditions. That doesn't necessarily mean that they know actually how to handle the sale of a business. It's a specific skill set, and it's worth a talk with your solicitor to see that they actually have people on board to do it. Um, So I use Clark and Son in Basingstoke. I use Will Anderson, and he served me very well. I have to say that the old managing partner, Peter Turner, who I've got the highest respect for and has now retired, didn't have the skill set. But when Peter was retiring, he recruited Will Anderson because he recognized that his market was changing and he needed someone with a different skill set. It's a very specialized skill. You must expect to pay a lot of money for it, but it's worth every penny when it happens. And the third thing is that your accounts must be in a good shape. And by that I mean, no holds, they'll be found out. The forensic examination which any acquirer goes through your accounts is the most detailed of which I've ever seen. Um, It goes way beyond any looking for fraud. It's trying to understand the business you will be able to hide absolutely nothing, and you shouldn't try to. If your accounts are not clean, they will find out within a week or two, and the process takes about three months.
0: What is life after leadership like for you, Barry?
1: It's slightly different for me for other people due to the fact that this week there is one hospital visit, one hospital consultation due to my wife. It's If you don't have any idea of what you want to do after you sell, after you retire, you've actually made a mistake. So, for example, for about three years before I retired, I went down to four days a week to start to get used to the process of not going into work each day. You need to have some idea of what you want to do, be it charitable work, be it setting up another business. There's only... a limit to the amount of gardening and DIY that you can do, or that you want to do, or that you want to enjoy. And health is absolutely priceless. If you're not in good health, but you can get in good health, then you need to. And if you can't change the health equation, you need to have some of the things to go in. It doesn't matter whether it's helping in a food bank or whatever it is, but you can do something. So a very good friend of mine who lives in Leeds with his wife, he's in his 70s now, He's retired and they do a lot of hospital uh, visits. They take people to and from hospitals in their car and they do this two to three days a week Uh, and they get a huge amount of pleasure out of it, just helping other people. I think it's a time where you can move on and you do things for other people as opposed to for yourself or your business. And I think you need to recognize the dynamics change. So you go from 100 plus emails a day to almost nothing overnight. And if you don't have anything to put in its place, you can start to feel quite useless. The pressure disappearing is quite pleasant, but after a very short time, you need to replace it with something, something that you're interested in. So I've spent a huge amount of time over genealogy, over the lockdown, looking at my family history and researching our genealogy, going back as many generations as I can. And that's an ongoing process. And I've been able to go back thanks to the help of others, hundreds and hundreds of years in some cases, you need something. You need something to keep your brain going. You need something to intellectually stimulate. It's unlikely you're going to go and run a marathon or walk from John Groves to Land's End, but you can do an awful lot sitting at a desk and on a computer. You need to have some plan of what you're going to do.
0: I know before we spoke um, that you actually support two PhD students as well.
1: Yes, I do. So I went to Loughborough University in 1970 to 74 and my degree was not the best. And that was partly because I was very involved in sports and got my university colours in two sports. And Loughborough being the top sports university in the country meant that you really had to give it as much as you could. So it would be true to say that my academic work suffered so that I could do the sports. But I've never forgotten the basis that it gave me. And so when I sold the business, I decided to support Loughborough University. And I met two or three times, three times actually, with different people from there. And I attended open days and realized that most, almost everyone was supporting an undergraduate with a grant of £100 or £1,000 or maybe £5,000 or something like that. But I felt that I was in a position to do something a bit more and also felt there was a gap. So I inquired about sponsoring a PhD. And I found out two things. One, well, three things. One, that the price was much higher. Secondly, that I could afford it. And the third, I was the only one doing it. And it was the ability to make a difference. So I found that doing that, that I could select the PhD. Now that's not something I wanted to do, but there's over a hundred PhDs available at any time. So you can decide what department you want and what subject you want. But actually the process went slightly differently. I initially decided to work in the area of uh, economics. And I met with the professors and doctors, and we decided on a project that was close to my heart in economics. And they were very comfortable about that. They presented six options, And they're very clever. And the first one was the one I wanted. So I don't think that was coincidence. I think they phrased it that way. But intellectually getting involved in the process, I found very stimulating, very creative, and also being involved as an outsider in the recruitment process. I didn't want to get involved in the early stages, but I did get involved in the shortlist and then giving my opinion on the shortlist. Uh, And that's very helpful. I would have gone up but lockdown happened and so I haven't met the person, but I've met them on email and and so on. I find that very good in as much that it brings back a lot of very happy memories from the time I was at university, but it also is laying the foundation for the future of someone to become Mm -hmm. someone special by giving them the opportunity to research a subject for three years. And I'm most insistent that it's not the type of PhD subject that just gets filed in the back drawer of a filing cabinet and left there for 50 years and forgotten, I would much rather create something that benefits posterity. So for the second one, which I'm going through, I've given Loughborough University two things. I've said, look, Loughborough University has never won a Nobel Prize. Why don't we set our sights very high? Or the second thing is, so far as I am aware, Loughborough has never created a unicorn company with a valuation of in excess of a billion dollars. Why don't we try and do that? And having said those two things, they've now gone away with a completely clean state and said, can we come back to you? Because we need to talk to a lot more different people. So I'm finding that I'm provoking discussion and stimulation amongst people who are far cleverer than I am. But the ability is there financially to do something.
0: And how does that make you feel, Barry?
1: the fact that I can leverage what I've got. And I'll explain two other things if you've got the time. So the first thing I decided was that I would donate to charity 1% of what I received every year. And I've been able to do that, and it has not altered my standard of living. And it gives me a huge amount of pleasure in doing so. The second thing is that I've found the means whereby I can leverage my charitable donations. So for example, I give money to help people have cataract operations in third world countries. And by doing it in certain ways, I've been able to leverage that money. And there are now hundreds of people who can see who weren't able to see previously. And I've been able to, in many cases, double and sometimes quadruple my donations. And I think it's looking for things like that and researching things like that during lockdown and during retirement that gives you a sense of fulfilment, if you like. There are hundreds of thousands of charities out there and it's not possible to support them all. And if you did, your effort would be dissipated. So maybe it's the business person of me, but I really try and focus on one or two areas where I can make a difference. And if people can walk around and they can see and they're economically active and they can provide for their family, then yes, I'm very grateful to have the opportunity of doing that.
0: Thank you so much for your time today, Barry. Is there anything else that you would like to add?
1: Enjoy the process, enjoy the family and enjoy any grandchildren if you have them.
0: Okay. thanks for your time.
1: Thank you.